0: So if you can turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew and it's chapter 13 and verse 44. Now, I think some of what we're going to look at this one is really what God's been doing in the worship and we're going to look at actually how do you in practice make that exchange that Rob was talking about of those heavy bags, burdens, worries, fears and pick up hope, joy and peace. So we're going to unpack Actually, how do you do it in practice? And I'm going to read these verses to you. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, you might be shocked when you hear me say, I didn't really like these verses. Have you ever found that you read the Bible as verses, you think, I don't like those verses? Because I thought, come to Christ at 18, what does that mean? I come to you, Jesus, with all my heart. You're going to give me the gift of celibacy, aren't you? (laughs) I, you know, I want to be married, and so I don't like the verse where this guy went out and did, gave everything he had to have that, or he found this pearl and said it was of great value and gave up everything to have that. And sometimes we can read verses like that, and you can think, "I know these verses. You're after my money, aren't you? It's a, it's going to be an offering, after isn't it? It's a money one. You know, you, you're going to hold up Jesus, and then you're going to say give, give, my, give your money.'" Or have you ever been like this and you've felt, if I ever said a country that I didn't want to go to, that would be the country Jesus would send me to. <laughs> you know, if I, if I mention a location out loud, he, he might hear it and that'll be the very location. That'll be the very thing he'll do. And so I better not say anything too loud and I don't really want to give everything because I need to hold a bit back for security because what if? And then you find that... You get married and that what if becomes something else. Yeah, and then it becomes maybe, uh, it can become your career. You think, if I give everything to Jesus, will he take away my career? You know, will he take away, or it might be a a hobby or, 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 or something else. You think, I don't want to come wholeheartedly to him this morning. And because what if he touches that? Or he puts his hand on that? And that's just not the spirit of these verses whatsoever. So as they say in America, you put the elephant in the room right at the beginning, because otherwise you'll be thinking the whole thing about that. And you'll be thinking, I don't want to in any way come wholeheartedly, because he might touch that. He might take that. He might mean that. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything and he bought it. C.S. Lewis says that God doesn't find our pursuit of joy too great. He finds our pursuit of joy too weak. He, He said in one of his books, that we're like children who will not respond to an invitation to the beach but will will stay making mud pies in the gutter because they just can't imagine what the beach looks like. God finds our appetites too weak. Not our appetites are too strong. God is not a cruel joke, God, killjoy. He's the most joyful person in the universe and he wants us to enter into his joy. There's a story of a man who... I believe it was 1970, and he's an American Olympiad, and he was in the Olympic Games in 1970, and he was a decathlete, and he he hadn't achieved a gold or a silver or a bronze. He'd fallen out of all the medal positions, and he wanted to win gold. And so at the end of the Olympics, they have a party, and all the athletes go to the uh, hotel, and they just celebrate the winners, the losers, all celebrate together. But this man didn't. He went to his hotel room... And he looked at the scores of the man who had won gold in each of the 10 events, and he decided that for the next four years, he would achieve better, better time in the 1500, better better distance on the shot put, further javelin, he'd be faster in the 100 meters. And he made that decision when everybody was rejoicing, celebrating at the end of the Olympics. And the, the reality was, in four years' time, he won the Olympic gold for the decathlon, but it was four years of, I've seen a vision, I'm going to be the best in every single one of the events, and I'm going to win gold. And so for the joy that was before him, which was gold medal, for the great value of the gold medal, he sacrificed everything. And probably if you said to him, did it cost you anything, was there sacrifice?" he probably said, yeah, there were. I got up early, my diet looked like this, my regime looked like this, my priorities looked like this. Was there a sacrifice? No, because... I got what I was after. I got the prize. And you find that right across anybody with passion. And you can find that in musicians who practice and practice and practice and practice. You, you can find that with writers and artists. And you can find that with people at work. You can find it with parents and children. And you can find it with in so many different areas that people will sacrifice for what they see is of greater value. And we do it all the time. Yesterday, people had to wait one hour on the EE website just to get onto the page where they might be able to order an iPhone 5 or iPhone 6S. For the joy set before them, they sacrificed 60 minutes of sitting there watching. Because the prize was, you you might be able to pre-order. That was the great joy, that was the thing of great value. So the sacrifice of an hour maybe wasn't didn't seem like a cost. And so these two people, the one who finds treasure in a field and the one who finds pearls, a pearl of great value, they're touching a universal motivation for all of us. We're all after great joy. We're all after joy. And all of us are after something of great value. All of us. Once we've got our primary needs met, which is shelter, food, um, housing, in the, say, the hierarchy of needs, once our big needs are met, our, our, our great need is to find meaning, for something of joy and something of great value. And we're all on that quest, everybody, whether it's the quest through a, a relationship, whether it's the quest through achieving something, whether it's the quest through a hobby, whether it's a, the quest for success. And so these two people, they find something that when they find it, there's this moment that for them, they would say it was a no-brainer decision. I've found this treasure and I want to secure this treasure because it's such joy. So I'm going to buy the whole field so I can now legitimately say the treasure is mine. Someone else finds this pearl of great value and says, this is it. This is the pearl I've always looked for. This is the thing I've always wanted. This is the thing I've been on a quest for all my life. I'm a merchant. I've been looking for this very thing, and now i found it, I'm going to pull out all the stops, go to any extreme, to get hold of that, to get hold of that joy, to get hold of that treasure, and it's a no-brainer decision. Notice that Jesus doesn't say in his parable, he doesn't say a man went across a field, found great treasure, or another found a, a pearl, and then there was a threat, or a command. You must have that treasure or the rest of your life will be rubbish. Or if you don't have that treasure, you are going to be sick or something's going to happen to your family. There was no threat. There was no command. It doesn't say, well, the guy found the treasure and his boss said, now you go. I'm commanding you to do anything you can to get hold of that treasure. There's no command. There's no threat. It's just he saw it wanted it, got captivated by a vision. You see, when I look back at my struggles with this verse, it was an issue of a a revelation of the heart of God, a revelation of his value, because Jesus is saying in these verses, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Heaven is like this. In other places, it says in Philippians, Paul says, I count everything lost compared to christ so we could say the kingdom of heaven and jesus christ are one and the same thing it's the treasure is jesus or the treasure is the rule of jesus the kingdom of jesus and paul says look paul in the bible remember he was the guy persecuting the the christians He's on his way to Damascus. He's got letters in his pocket to arrest Christians, to throw them into prison, to persecute them, to see them executed. He's on his way there. And this guy is top, top, top of the religious Pharisee order. He's being trained by a man called Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the top, top teachers. This guy is at the top of the tree in terms of religious authority. He is like the CEO, as it were, of religious Pharisees. And so he's on his way there to arrest and persecute christians and jesus appears to him knocks him off his donkey said i'm jesus you've been persecuting me and paul has this encounter this revelation this meeting with the risen christ that absolutely ruins him for anything else and then he goes away for 14 years And and, and he's writing, and he's learning, he's trying to understand how Jesus fits in the whole history of the Old Testament, and how Jesus has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And then he emerges as this great apostolic guy to the nations, and he says, I consider everything lost compared to this Jesus Christ. I compare my status... As an elevated top of the tree kind of guy. And this guy did lose everything. He went to prison. He lost his freedom. He couldn't even share the gospel in the way he would have wanted. He was restricted. Placed in chains. Maligned and mocked. And yet he says compared to Jesus. Everything else I just consider lost. You can stick me in prison, you can stick chains on me, you can take away the sunlight, you can do all of that and I'll write about Jesus for half an hour when the sun will come from the prison window in a Roman jail and write the whole book of Ephesians. He's unquenchable, he'll he'll tell the Roman guards about him, he'll tell anybody about Jesus. He just says, I consider it all loss in comparison to Jesus. And you think that is the quest, what we're after. You see, you can't make the exchange of the heavy bags without a revelation of his worth. That's the only way it happens. And so I began to realise, and my grip, as it were, got loosened of my fear of this verse, that actually God was actually after my joy. Um, God is actually hedonistic. He's after my pleasure. God is actually after my delight. God is after me being absolutely captivated by him. It's like taking a child into Hamleys at Christmas and saying to the child at Christmas time, this, this toy is the toy. Have you ever known there's the toy at Christmas? And it's the one that sells out and it gets really expensive on eBay. It's the toy. It's what everybody wants. It's the robot. Okay, Which I always wanted when I was a kid. I, 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 wanted, I always wanted a, a robot. So it's like going into Hamleys and the, the guy says, you can have the robot. It speaks. It talks. It walks. It, it will deliver an apple to your dad. Whatever that toy was, that was what it did, you know. Like, Need to remember what that toy was. (laughs) That it will do everything in your wildest dreams. It will walk to you to school uh, and and it will help you with your homework. In fact, it will do your homework for you. You just use this particular pencil and it will do your work for you. Do you want it? It's free. What's the condition where you have to want that robot more than the other toys in the shop? Uh, Of course! That's a no brainer! I want the robot! I don't want the other toys in the shop. I want to go home with the robot. I want to prize, as it were, the robot above everything else that's in the shop. And that's what this is about, these verses. It's not sacrifice. It's not duty. It's not commands. It's not rules. It's revelation and captivation and seeing something. The guy sees treasure. I want it. I have to have the treasure. I have to have the treasure compared to everything else. The treasure is of surpassing value. I've got to have this pearl. This is the pearl I've always looked for. Everything else looks rubbish in comparison to this pearl. And so this is the beauty of Christianity. It's the most loving, it's the most trustworthy person in the whole universe saying, you can be mine. You can be mine and I can be yours. It's the invitation to prize and to delight and to be captivated by a vision of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. Your response. I'm calling you to a response like these two men have. I'm calling you to be so ruined by an encounter with me that you don't even count it sacrifice or cost, but you're captivated by the superior and vast worth of the most trustworthy person in the universe coming to you and saying, I want to look after you, I want to rule over you, I want to rule for you. Do you want it? What's the deal? Well, you don't have to worry anymore. Whoa, that sounds good. So you don't even have to worry about your life. I know what you need. Um, You don't have to be anxious about anything ever again because I'm going to walk around the walls of your life and I'm going to protect you and guard you. You don't ever have to feel alone ever again because you're going to be brought into a relationship where I'm not just going to rescue you and save you. I'm going to put a cry in your heart of Papa, Abba, Dad. It's going to be that close. Do you want it? He comes and says, do you want it? I'll come as it were into your car but I won't come to be a passenger to every now and then give you some instructions and I'm not going to sit at the back of the car while you drive around. I'll come and I'll take over the steering wheel and I'll set the pace and I'll set the direction. Do you want it? Do you want it? So the most wonderful trustworthy person invites us into his abundance. See, when we think it's this kind of, I've got to buy my way in, or somehow he's after to take things away from me, we we hold back from him out of fear. We think, no, you're after something, you're going to take something from me. You're, You're going to remove something from me. Have you ever seen those programs where you see a very timid animal and someone trying to beckon? Maybe it's a wounded animal and they think, if I get too close to this animal, it's going to panic and it's going to run away and i have got to hurt it more. But I've got, to, I've got to beckon it. I've got to woo it. And it's like God is, is, is this, wonderful, this wonderful creator who beckons humanity, beckons you and me to trust him. And he's beckoning us with his love, with his kindness, with his mercy, with his goodness. And he's drawing us and wooing us to trust him bit by bit. And we're like a timid animal. If I can do an impression of a timid animal here. You know, if he moves his arm too fast, we back off and we back off. And then he woos us and draws us. And if we we think, oh, I'm scared. Are you going to take that away from me? Are you going to remove that from me? Are you going to take away my personhood? Are you going to crush my dreams and things in my heart? If I get too close to you, will you take them away? And we're like the animal backing off. And he wants to draw us into saying, listen, you can trust me. You can trust me. And it's like in our world, we, we've said it before, we, we, we trust our children to teachers, we trust our mechanic with our car, um, with the brakes, we trust the chair we're sitting on, we trust our government with our taxes, we, we trust, um, so many areas we, we just trust, and yet when it comes to the most trustworthy person in the universe, who's never let anybody down, who's never lied and never deceived, And has no darkness within him. We struggle to trust and We're like this timid animal. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't like this verse. Can you change this verse? I don't like the verse where it says. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. I don't like that verse. I don't like this verse. Please take that one away. I want to have everything of my own autonomy. And trust myself. But I don't want to trust you. And yet, he woos us. And draws us. To a place of (coughs) surrender. And yieldedness. To the most trustworthy person. In the universe. To the point where we say, even if it did cost me X, Y, and Z, I would not be sad because the exchange is so great, I get you. And that's what Paul is saying. I, I used to be the top of the tree. I used to be the one at Gamaliel's feet. I, I used to be have a real huge position in the Jewish hierarchy in the Pharisees. I, I actually used to be an apostle who could go wherever he wanted. Now I'm in chains in the dark, but you know what? I count it all lost compared to the surpassing value of Christ. The exchange hasn't made me sad. And so this morning he comes to us and says. The foundation is not calling you to sacrifice. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying this morning we're taking up an offering. I'm not saying that to get into the kingdom of heaven you need to sell everything. Um, it says in Acts, they did sell land, they did sell property, they did lay at the apostles' feet. But it says to Ananias and Sapphira, "You were free." You remember those two who lied about what they had given? so that was yours. All of it was yours. You were free to keep some back. You know, you didn't have to give it all. You could have held some back. You didn't have to lie. It was all yours. And so, the kingdom of heaven, we enter in as uh, we enter in freely. We 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 don't buy our way in. We don't enter in because of we want to be, to make a sacrifice. Or we want to show that we're radical, even. Even the idea that we want to be radical believers. You know, that we want to be radical in sharing the gospel. We want to be radical in praying for the sick on the street. That we're going to show to Jesus we're really serious, that we love him, because we're going to be radical. We're going to go and prophesy to people over the street, because we're going to show you, Jesus, that we're radical. Actually, that's not even that, either. It's being ruined and abandoned and captivated by the infinite wonders of who he is. That's what it's about. It's being ruined by love. If we want to be radical with the gospel, we've got to be ruined by love first. If we want to take risk and step out and prophesy in deeper measures and greater measures than we've ever done before, we have to just be abandoned to love in the first place. So I want to finish with this. Christianity following Jesus Christ is not the suppression of desire. Okay? It's not the suppression of desire. It is meeting legitimate needs in a legitimate way. It frees us from a sentence like this if I don't have that, I'm nothing. Tim Keller, who leads a church in uh, New York City, said he was a youth leader in a church, and he was talking to a, a girl who, um, who who said this: "I don't feel good about myself. I know that Jesus loves me. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I'm certain of His kindness and goodness, but that doesn't mean anything." if the boys won't look at me. So what she was saying in effect was, all that is just great, but this is what I really want. It can be, I I know that Jesus loves me, and I know he's for me, but if I don't get that promotion, I might as well be dead. Or, if this doesn't happen, if that doesn't happen, then my life is not worth living. And in these verses, Jesus is saying, pretty much that, if we trust anything else above him, it will pretty much eat you alive and make you a slave. Because if anything touches that, you will be devastated and destroyed. So it's not the suppression of desire. It's not some kind of Walking through life as a kind of stoic, because I need nothing. I need no food. I need no water. I need no people. I have Jesus. <laughs> I have no desires or dreams or plans at all. Because it's just me and Jesus. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom is you have all of that, but I won't be mastered by any of it. Mm. because I've seen the worth of the king, his goodness and his kindness. Mm. So I get it all. But I get it all in the right order, in a way that leads to my freedom. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try and do this illustration. Apparently, I'm not sure which country it is, but there's a way of catching monkeys. And uh, the way of catching them is they put what a monkey would really like in a jar. And they put that, whether that's a, a nut or fruit that the monkey really loves. And they put that, jar, that in a jar. And then they chain the jar to the floor. And then the monkey puts his hand in the jar to get what he always wanted. But he then can't get his hand out. Because he can only get his hand out if he lets go of the fruit. Or if he lets go of the nut. Or the thing that he always wanted. So he's actually captured by his own appetite. And so they come and they just move his hand and take him. But actually he was free all along. He just had to decide, actually, I want my freedom more than that piece of fruit. I I, I want my freedom more than that hazelnut. I want my freedom more than this. And so they come and just say, so easy. So easy. Just take you away, take your hand out. And that is really what repentance is. I I want freedom. And so, Jesus is saying in this parable, these people, they could hold on to everything. It was all theirs. They sold what was theirs. To have what they always wanted. And so, Jesus comes to us and just says, look, I love you unconditionally. I love you with a, a ferocious kind of love. I'm patient with you. I'm kind towards you. I've got joy towards you. I, I, I've got compassion towards you. I, I believe all things about you. Everything that you've heard, prophesied, said. I believe it all because I said it. I, I'm not after your to take away your joy. I'm actually after your pleasure. But if that thing is the thing that you think will ultimately give you life and give you identity and give you validation or give you freedom, you are like the monkey with your hand on, on in the jar. Will you let go of it and dare to trust me to be enough for you and to give you joy? He's not a cruel joke dot god. He's not. He did not give us longings and desires And promises in order to frustrate us and to quench and kill our joy. He put them there because he wants wants us to walk in them. And he wants us to be able to satisfy legitimate needs in a legitimate way. Because he doesn't want us to be captured by anything. He doesn't want our hand in the jar. He doesn't want us stuck there. And so it's taking that thing that you always wanted and saying... I must have an encounter with you so that I can release my hand off that bit by bit by bit. And you're not saying, uh, you're not saying in that God, I'm suppressing the desire for that or the joy in that. You're saying, I I choose to elevate you. I want an encounter with you that elevates you so much that I can even let go of that. That even if you didn't do that, I would rejoice in the freedom that you give. It's about freedom. And then God celebrates every single yes that we have. And so it might be we come to him and our hand is in the jar. And we're saying, Papa, Dad, I love you so much. And and, and you're talking to God and your hand's in the jar still. But he's saying, "I, i love to celebrate every single progress you make and every step forward. You didn't even know your hand was in the jar before. This is progress. You thought you were free. Now you know your hand's in a jar. This is good news, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but my hand's still in the jar. <laughs> but, but, but you're going to let go of that, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> you're going to make progress. I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to learn to try- trust you. And I'm going to prize you. And I'm going to have revelation of you. And I'm going to get captivated by you. And it's going to happen. Maybe it's going to happen suddenly for you. And you leave here this morning. I don't want that thing anymore, more than him. And you entrust it to him. See, that's what I think is the grace of God. Some people think you become a Christian and then you have all the rules of the do's and you do not's. And people say, where are you if you don't have the law? Everybody will run amok and go wild and do whatever they want without the law. But Jesus doesn't motivate via the law. He motivates via being captivated by superior vision to anything else. Yes. The law just revealed we were broken. That's what the law... God comes and gives us a new heart of flesh that actually wants him. And so you celebrate every step forward. You might think, I've made two steps forward and one back. In my hand coming out of the jar and wanting that more above you. God goes, woo! step forward. No, no, didn't you see the two steps back? I'm not interested in the two steps back. Wow, 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 you made a step forward. Your hand is a little looser. You're trusting me a little bit more. I'm loving it. You're winning through your choices and your thoughts. is better than it was. You go, you make, you're moving forward. You're making progress. There were some times in my life that I didn't even want to talk to God about certain things in case he would take them away. We got near it and back off. And then he woos and he draws and he shows he is so kind and so loving and so trustworthy and so good. Amen. He doesn't seduce us to trick us. Mm. Remember Jeremiah, he's, I think in the Hebrew it says patah. <laughs> you patard me, you seduced me with this vision and now I'm suffering. Actually, he draws us in and maybe there is suffering and maybe there is cost, but he so captivates you with himself yeah. that you think, wow, Jesus, compared to you, I'm not even sad. I can ride that. I'm going to pray for us. Yeah. Let's know a God who celebrates every single step forward. A God who is so after our freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord, there's freedom. Freedom for you to walk in a room and be you. Amen. Freedom to walk in a room and not feel like you're the, everything you said was stupid. Because you've got an identity of a Heavenly Father who says, I absolutely love you. I would deliberately remain silent so as I never made a mistake in what I said. Because it was too costly to have to analyse what I said after. And actually, as he freed my heart to just be, Jamie, you only have to be the best Jamie you can be, alright? You really don't have to be in comparison. You don't have to perform. You don't have to analyse everything. You're free. You have to let go of the jar. I said, oh God, I only thought about that that meeting. I only thought about it for 10 minutes. You used to think about it for two days, Jamie. That's progress. (laughs) But, But God, it looked the same. No, no, that's progress, Jamie. That's progress. Your hand has come off the jar a little bit more. I was in a meeting the other day. And a really significant leader didn't notice me. And I was doing something for him, and I hadn't seen him for two months, and he didn't notice me. And all these feelings of rejection and came over me and then a thought came, you don't have to think like that. You're free. Oh God, there's progress. Because I used to live under the shadow of rejection for months and years and even decades. Jamie, you saw it, didn't you? You saw it. You nipped it in the bud. Woo! We're winning! We're winning! Oh God, you, I thought I was through on that. I thought I'd got maturity in that area of God. I thought I was through that. Yeah, you are a lot more than you were. Sometimes, yeah, you put your hand back in the jar. But you got it right out. Wow! Wow! That's really good. Yes. He celebrates every move forward. Every every move forward as he captivates and ruins our heart. He, he celebrates that. He rejoices over every progress, every new form, every choice. He delights over you with singing. Yes. He's with you. Yeah. So we say, Jesus Christ, yes. ruin us. Give us no-brainer decisions. I want you. Captivate our hearts. Loosen our grip. Let us see Christ in the kingdom and his all-surpassing value. Let us say, Lord Jesus, you don't control us, you don't punish us, and you don't do it through rules. You do it through the wonder of delight and the wonder of trust. Jesus, you motivate us through our absolute need for joy and something of great value. So I say to, to, to us this week, ruin us, Jesus. Yes. Yes, right. Captivate yes. us, Jesus. As we read the Bible, let it come alive in new ways. Put t- new taste buds on our tongue for the, for, the, for the honey of your word. Ruin us, God. Ruin us, God, in Jesus' name. Captivate us, God, in Jesus' name. We bless you. We bless you. Even in your heart you might be thinking something came into your head this morning and it was, if I don't have that, I'm nothing. If that doesn't happen, I'm nothing. Just begin to even talk to God about it this week and today. Just begin to bring it before him and say, oh God, that's such an area where I get my validation, my identity. It's become a saviour to me. Be my saviour now. I'm choosing to loosen my grip of it. I'm choosing that. Yeah, more and more amen amen